Hello and yes. welcome to edition number 1860 of the Whitney Talking News, which Thursday the 22nd of April 2021. And for the first time in nearly a year, the church, leader of our usual four. I am Debbie Diacon and I edited this edition. Our two readers this week are Alan Bailey and Francis Ashling. Our recording engineer this week is Graham Diacon. As is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette. So our first story is from the front page of the Whitney Gazette and is a bit disturbing. It will be read by Alan. Voyeur set up bathroom cam. Addicted man tells court he is hooked on voyeurism and filmed females over a decade. A voyeur's string of offending came to light when a woman complained to police that he had tried to pay her son to video her while she slept. That allegation, reported to police in 2018, never resulted in charges being brought against John Berry. But the claims led police to the home 36-year-old Berry shared with his mother, where they discovered a camera hidden in the bathroom ceiling. On Friday, Swindon Crown Court heard how over more than a decade self-described voyeurism added Berry had filmed women and girls without their knowledge. Starting in the mid-twenties, the mid-2000s I should say, the images were taken using cameras or phones hidden in the then Whitney home and at a friend's property while they were away. He used a spy camera in a USB stick to film a woman while she performed a sect act on him and also filmed up an undercarriage, underskirt carriage girl skirt on a bus. This is very unbelieving, isn't it? His victim included a child who, it is believed, was five or six when Berry photographed her, although... Her recollection was that she was older. Berry told detectives he had detected the images and videos from the computer, but admitted he had previously had a sexual interest in underage girls. He said he was addicted to taking videos of unsuspecting people and acknowledged he needed to be punished. Digital forensics offices were able to find folders of images or videos relating to five women and girls taken up to a decade before. Also uncovered from his computers were 150 indecent images in category A, 100 in category B and more than 2,700 in category C. One woman said in a victim personal statement recorded by the police and played to the court, I suffer with anxiety. I haven't been able to leave the house since being told she had been secretly filmed. I've kept my children at home because I feel like I need to keep them close to me because I don't want something to happen to them. There is just so much going on in my head and I just think, what if the hidden camera devices are in my house? What if my children are being videoed? Gareth James, 
mitigating urged the judge to spare his client an immediate prison sentence, citing the fact he had made admissions to the police when he was interviewed. His remorse, the efforts he had made to address his attraction to underage girls and the difficult conditions in prison during the pandemic. Judge Peter Crabtree sent Barry to prison for three and a half years. Barry must register as a sex offender and remain subject to a sexual harm prevention order for life. Next, with a much nicer story, it's Francis with an article about national lottery winners giving something back. Yes, this one's got a delightful picture with it and shows a very jolly chap in his uh, sort of middle-aged and um, uh, a young lady and they're looking at some lovely bird boxes in the shape of houses, little roof, little chimneys, little hole for the birds and sometimes pictures. And uh, I must say the guy is looking very jolly and this is why... The heading of the article is Cheap Thrills as Lottery Winner Builds Bird Boxes. They've all won a nice little nest egg and now a team of handy national lottery winners have spent lockdown building bird boxes for Barks, Bucks and Oxen Wildlife Trust. That's B-B-O-W-T. Chipping Norton's David Adams, who's the guy in the picture... He won a million pounds last year and joined a working party with other local winners, all working remotely at home. Others involved include Ensham-based Charmaine Watson, who won 2.4 million in 2005, and Pam Aird from Abingdon, who won a million. The lovingly crafted nest boxes were installed at BBOWT's centre in Sutton Courtney. Mr Adams, who was made redundant 24 hours before discovering his win, said, I've worked in the carpentry field, so I'm very used to working with timber, although I will admit the items I used to make were a bit bigger. Winners have also created vegetable planters for schools and for NHS workers. And now the West Hertfordshire elections candidate's slate is revealed. Voters in West Oxfordshire are among those set to go to the polls this May. As well as voting in the full council-council elections due to take place on May the 6th, West Oxfordshire residents will be asked to take part in elections for their district council if they live in one of the following 17 wards. The district council holds elections for one-third of its council councillors on a yearly basis and would usually have a year off elections in the fourth year. Last year, elections were due to take place for 17 seats on the council, but the coronavirus pandemic put paid to the polls. Instead, the elections for a third of the council, which were due to take place in 2020, will now take place this year. There are a total of 49 councillors elected to West Oxfordshire District Council, who between them represent 27 different communities divided up into ward areas. There are currently 29 Tory councillors, 9 Liberal Democrats, 8 Labour councillors, 2 Independent councillors and 1 vacancy on the council. And I'm now going to read out a list of wards where council seats are up for grabs. Bampton, 
and Clanfield, Chadlington and Churchill, Charlbury and Finstock, Chipping Norton, Ancham and Cassington, Freeland and Hamborough, Haley, Minster Lovell and Leafield, Kingham, Rollwright and Enstone, Milton under Witchwood, Northley, Stanlake, Aston and Stanton Harcourt, Stonesfield and Tackley, Whitney Central, Whitney East, Whitney North, Whitney South, Whitney West, Woodstock and Bladen. Meanwhile, in the county council elections, West Oxfordshire residents will be asked to vote in the following wards. Burford and Carterton North, Carterton South and West, Charlbury and Witchwood, Chippy Norton, Ensham, Hanborough and Minster Lovell, Whitney North and East, Whitney South and Central, Whitney West and Bampton, and last but not least, Woodstock. Thanks, Alan. Uh, If any of our listeners are interested, the Talking News Federation has a five-minute audio article which you can download from their website detailing what help is available to visually impaired people who wish to vote. So um, you need to go to www.tnfsoundings.org.uk and it's under Publications and then Information. This article is headed Young Churchill's Pub Opened with Help of Community Spirit Historic Tavern Saved by Villagers Last Year Now Serving Customers After Lockdown Lifts The pub at which Winston Churchill learnt to drink has undergone a rapid transformation in order to reopen The White House in Bladen near Woodstock has already had a roller coaster of a year with a community pulling together to help save it Now, that same community has clubbed together to help it reopen. After fears the pub would land in the hands of developers, a committee successfully had an offer accepted by Green King in May of last year. The pub then became officially owned by the community two months later. Tenants were sought, with couple Johnny Roberts and Fran Clark moving in at the end of September. With the help of the village, the duo has been able to welcome punters after two weeks of hard graft to get the pub in a position to reopen its outdoor area. Miss Clark said, When we were told we could open outside, our priority was to get that as nice as we could. The garden hadn't been looked after, so we had to sort that out and grow back the grass. We essentially tore everything down one weekend, and then the next weekend we put it back up again. Volunteers have been helping and donating to make this possible. It's turned out really lovely. It's been so helpful having people support us, and we're so grateful for that support. The couple moved in at the end of September, ready for opening the pub in October. However, lockdowns have meant the pub has seen little action since the pair arrived. Christmas was difficult, as we had so many bookings in, but then the lockdown came, said Miss Clark. It's really nice to get back open, though, and hopefully, if the weather picks up, people can start coming back to the pub. 
The couple is well aware of the history behind the 17th century pub, but Miss Clark said this is something her finance... Sorry, her fiancé, a former manager at the Four Candles in Oxford, relishes. Johnny knew quite a bit about the pub before we moved, so he was excited to get involved, she said. You have people coming in because of all the links to Churchill. We've got all the pictures of him up and we're embracing all the history that the pub has. The committee has been really supportive and is always checking in on us, asking if we're okay. It's more like talking to friends than anything. That's what it feels like. The White House has become renowned for being the pub where former wartime Prime Minister Mr Churchill drank during his adolescent years. In February, the pub launched a community kitchen to help feed the most vulnerable people in the area. The scheme was designed to help those struggling financially, self-isolating or shielding with hot meals delivered to their door. And now three short stories... Star Rapper teams up with Chef for a tasty festival set. Chart-topping rapper Professor Green is joining a celebrity chef for what promised to be one of the strangest moments of this summer's Oxfordshire festival season. Multi-platinum hip-hop star Professor Green teams up with Chef Gizzy Erskine, known for appearances on shows Cook Yourself Thin and This Morning for their Gizzen Green show at the big festival. The pair inspired millions on Learn over the last year with their Monday Night Fake Aways series, leading to their own pop-up restaurant in Shoreditch in London. The big festival, hosted by Blur guitarist Alex James on his farm in Kingham, near Chipping Norton, is billed as a celebration of music, food and family. Last week, it also added pop singer Sophia Ellis Bechter, chart topper Tom Grennan, singer-songwriter Maisie Peters and Emily Burns and melodic pop band Koala to its lineup for the August 27-29 to 29 event. They join announced acts Seagal and Niall Rogers, Rag and Bone Man, Zara Larson, Ella Eyre, All Saints, Reef Morchenby, Norman Jay, the Cuban Brothers, Zara Larison, Tom Walker and Judge Jules. See thebigfestival.com for further details. Number two story, housing estate launch. New 50 home estate Marlborough Gardens in Northleigh has been officially opened by Whitney MP Robert Courts. He said, I'm pleased to see much-needed quality new homes being built in Northley, especially the affordable element for local people. And number three, council tax cuts after flooding problems. Victims of flooding during the Christmas period are to get a discount on their council tax. The decision was made during a West Oxfordshire District Council, that's a WODC, meeting, which lasted just over three minutes. A council report stated since Christmas Eve there had been widespread flooding across the county. However, unlike similar flooding in 2013, when the government made available schemes to support those affected by flooding, no support packages have been announced in this time round. 
West Oxfordshire District Council has already awarded 50% discounts to six properties where residents had to leave their homes and either rent alternative properties or stay with family and friends. The meeting last week, which included a minute silence in tribute to the Duke of Edinburgh, saw an agreement for an additional 50% discount to be awarded to those Im- impacted for a three-month period, starting on the day they had to vacate their home. Speaking at the meeting, Deputy Leader WODC and the Council's Cabinet Member for Resources, Toby Morris, said, It's important that we support our residents at these times when their homes are affected. So I'm more than happy to approve the recommendations as set out in this report. Now this article is headlined Police Boss Candidates Unveil Policies. The elections for the new Police and Crime Commissioner will be held on May the 6th. The PCC is the elected head of Thames Valley Police, voted in by constituents in Oxfordshire, Berkshire and Buckinghamshire. Their role is to set out the way crime is tackled by the police. They do this by making a police and crime plan, a document which outlines how much money the police expect to have in the next three years and how it plans to use the cash to cut crime in the area. The document is then used by the Chief Constable, currently John Campbell, for the operational policing. The PCC's aim is to cut crime and ensure the police off force is effective. They are also meant to bring a public voice to policing by engaging with the public, victims and witnesses of crime, ensuring the police budget is spent where it matters most to people and appointing and firing the Chief Constable. The PCC also decides how much money people pay in their council tax for the PCC precept. May the 20th is the last day to send a postal vote and April 27th is the last day to nominate a proxy, somebody who will vote on your behalf. On May the 9th, you will be able to vote for your first and second preference of who you want to win. On May the 10th, the votes will be counted and the next PCC will be revealed. May the 12th is Anthony Stansfield's last day in the office and on May the 13th, the next PCC will take office. There are four candidates in Thames Valley. Alan Robinson, standing as an independent. Matthew Barber for the Conservative Party. Letitia Carter for the Labour Party. And John Howson for the Liberal Democrats. This week, we'll be talking to each of the candidates about who they are and why they've applied to be the next PCC. The role was created in November 2012 after an election was held on November the 15th. Anthony Stansfield was first elected as PCC for the Thames Valley in 2012 when the overall turnout was 13%. He was elected for the second time in 2016 when the turnout was 25.6% with around 430,000 votes being cast in Oxfordshire, Berkshire and Buckinghamshire. Of those, he secured 54% of the vote, 202,369 votes. 
Labour candidate Letitia Carter came in second place at the time with 172,717 votes, making up 46% of the vote. The length of term is usually four years. However, because of the pandemic and a year's delay in voting, the next term will only be three years. Unlike other elections, to stand as PCC candidates must put down a deposit of £5,000. The fee is returned if they receive more than 5% of the first preference votes. In Thames Valley, Mr Sandsfeld gets paid £86,700. His deputy, Matthew Barber, gets paid £65,000. Controversial Cathy Flats plans put on ice at council meeting. Plans for new flats at a controversial restaurant have been put on hold by councillors. West Oxfordshire District Council, WODC, Lowlands Area Planning Subcommittee met on Monday to discuss the creation of eight flats at Hackett's in Whitney. However, that discussion was shelved after revised plans were submitted. The committee subsequently deferred making a decision to its next meeting currently scheduled for May the 24th. The cafe chain attracted controversy last year when it was accused of paying staff late and not in full, owing employees thousands. Owner Dave Ackett admitted things had gone too far and that he owed some staff a lot of money. Now, plans are being put forward for a new two-storey side extension at the Wesley Walk Cafe. Permission was granted last year for the creation of six flats, with the owners now seeking permission to increase the height of the roof in order to create two additional one-bedroom flats in the roof space. The ground floor would be retained as a retail or commercial unit, though. Prior to the meeting, Council Officer Miranda Clark had recommended the latest application be refused. Outlining her reasons in a report, she said, By reason of the increased roof height to accommodate further residential accommodation, the proposal will adversely affect the visual appearance of the architect-designed building. Furthermore, the introduction of multiple roof lights will be overbearing and unduly harmful to the character of the conservation area, failing to preserve or enhance it. The proposal will result in unacceptable living accommodation in the roof space, with minimum floor-to-ceiling heights, lack of natural light and outlook, and no amenity space. She asked the committee to defer the application due to the revised plans being submitted by the agent. These plans will require formal consultation. Upon consultation for the plans, Whitney Town Council had no objection to the application. The Town Council response read, Whitney Town Council had no objection to the application in principle, but would like clarification that the storage area and cycle store is accessible for the flats and not just the retail unit on the ground floor. Despite no objection from the County Council, 
the local authority responsible for highways, the WO's DC report, raised concerns about parking availability. The report stated, Your officers are concerned that given no on-site parking is provided, that the additional flats will use the adjacent West Oxfordshire District Council car parks, which will put extra pressure on town centre car parking. And there's a picture of Hackett, and if you can picture where we are now in the the, uh, uh, church in the centre of Whitney, uh, then the Methodist church, then the cafe is about 100 yards from us, just down the passageway. As figures show more than 400,000 doses of the coronavirus vaccine have been delivered in Oxfordshire, MP Leila Moran has tabled a motion celebrating the country's outstanding vaccine programme. Leila Moran, Liberal Democrat MP for Oxford West and Abingdon, who last year called on the government to take part in the EU vaccine scheme, has congratulated the NHS for its success in the vaccine programme. By contrast, EU members have lagged behind the UK and many face severe criticism at home for their delayed rollout. She said last year... Working together with our neighbours will increase the chances of developing an effective vaccine and deploying it around Europe and the world as soon as possible. Opportunities have already been missed to take part in vital EU schemes that could have helped the NHS combat this pandemic by securing life-saving equipment. We must ensure those mistakes aren't made again. Her motion draws on the achievements of local NHS teams who have now delivered over 400,000 COVID-19 vaccinations in Oxfordshire and a million doses as part of the Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and West Berkshire integrated care system. Ms Moran said, Passing the milestone of 400,000 vaccination doses in Oxfordshire and a million across the integrated care system is an outstanding achievement. This could not have been done without the hard work and dedication of all the NHS staff in our community. I cannot thank them enough for the work they are doing to help people get vaccinated. My next story is a ceremony for the new bishop. A special ceremony has taken place to welcome the Venerable Gavin Collins as the Bishop of Dorchester. The Venerable Collins was appointed in November following the retirement of the Right Reverend Colin Fletcher. The consecration ceremony took place in Lambeth in London, watched by the Bishop's family and the Bishop of Oxford, the Right Reverend Stephen Croft. Bishop Stephen said, We heard it would no longer be possible to stream the service during the period of national mourning for His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. This will, of course, be disappointing to many across the area who were planning to share in the service virtually and pray for our new bishop. Many of us are already appreciating having Gavin among us and we look forward enormously to all that God will do and through his ministry in the coming years. In November... Bishop Gavin said it had been incredibly frustrating for Christians not to be allowed to gather for worship, but added that churches had to follow the law and scientific advice. After his appointment, he visited St Mary's Church in Chipping Norton, where volunteers had been supporting families. 
BBC documentary highlights Windrush pollution. The health of an Oxfordshire river has been at the centre of a TV programme. Panorama on BBC One investigated the illegal dumping of untreated sewage in rivers across the country. The river pollution scandal aired last week with the Windrush in Whitney the focus. Ashley Smith of Campaigns Group Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, WASP, spoke on the programme. He told the Whitney Gazette, Getting on Panorama is a vital part in allowing people to make sensible choices and for people to and for people to get the facts, rather than what the Environment Agency says. The public has been misled and kept in the dark, and the Panorama episode has opened the lid on this. We think 2.6 million people watched the episode, with more on iPlayer, so it will reach a lot of new people. It's a big step forward and towards improvement. The West Oxfordshire Green Party has called for community ownership of rivers. It said Thames Water should be upgrading sewage treatment facilities to keep pace with a growing population and using the revenue generated by new users and homes in the region. Thames is moving very slowly and only promising upgrades at certain sites, such as Whitney, over the next few years. Whitney Town Councillor Andrew Prosser of the Green Party added, France, Germany and indeed Scotland have far more diverse and successful and successful models of water stewardship and superior river quality. All of these countries have public control of their water resources. A Thames Water spokesman said, Our view is that discharges of untreated sewage are simply unacceptable, even when they are legally permitted, and we will work with government, Ofwat and the Environment Agency to accelerate work to stop them being necessary. Now, research calls for traffic studies if communities can raise the cash. And this is about a place that has done this. Historic towns want new way to divert HGV traffic. Towns across Oxfordshire, played by lorries shaking historic buildings and straining ancient bridges, may soon get funding for a solution. As Oxfordshire County Councillors last Wednesday, Stefan Gorosiak, the independent councillor for Henley, spoke about the damage and disruption caused by a heavy goods vehicle passing through the town over its historic bridge. Mr Gorosiak called for new environmental restrictions to be brought into towns including Burford, Chipping Norton and Henley to prevent HGVs driving through them. He said historic buildings in Henley rattle when lorries pass and pedestrians are intimidated by them while walking on narrow pavements and said HGVs contribute to the fact that Henley has poor air quality, having been an air quality management area for 18 years. Mr Grasciak said all they wanted to do was implement existing OCC policy found in its local transport plan. And he called for council staff to work on studies into environmental restrictions rather than weight restrictions on bridges if the communities which needed them could find the funding. He explained his call for environmental limits instead of weight limits by saying, look, Henley has a bridge that is unfortunately too strong. 
We cannot put a weight limit on it. We could land a jumbo jet on it, and it wouldn't affect it at all. Other councillors supported the call for studies, including Hilary Hibbert Biles, the independent councillor for Chipping Norton. And she said, This council cannot continue to take the air pollution issue and the contributing HGVs mate to air pollution into the long grass any longer. If this council is unable to act on this because of funding, then I think they have to ask the government for support if they are incapable of sorting it out, out the issues. But councillors who represent villages outside towns where restrictions on HGVs could be brought in had concerns about large lorries being rerouted through their areas. David Bartholomew, the council for Sonning Common, said... I fully understand the sentiment and the problems. Henley has got... But until I can be persuaded it is not going to result in HGV traffic being deflected through the villages I represent, I will not vote for it. The County Council Cabinet Member for Transport, Yvonne Constant, said... Another solution could soon be available as part of the 2004 Transport Act which allows London councils to restrict HGVs on certain roads, might soon be made available for all English councils. A ban on HGVs driving through Burford began in August last year in an effort to drive down air pollution levels and the congestion. Councillors voted in favour of Mr Gawashik's proposals, which will allow the towns to fund research into new lorry restrictions. Now, two short stories. The first is Blenheim plays big role in short film. Blenheim Palace has played a starring role in a new short film about the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Poet and producer Hussein Manawa directed and performed in the film, made to celebrate the creative arts in 2020, and each of the British BAFTA nominees. The four-and-a-half-minute film was shot on location at Blenheim Palace, in the palace itself and within its grounds. The location was chosen as a beacon of British significance with dressing by Dior. Emily Spencer, (coughs) head of operations at Blenheim Palace, said... We were delighted to have been chosen as a location for Hussein's film, celebrating the creative arts. He is an amazing talent. She added, Over the years, Blenheim has played a starring role in a host of films, from James Bond and Harry Potter to Cinderella and the BFQ. Oh, BFG. (laughs) BFG, quite a different story. And we understand how important the creative arts are to the nation. The film addresses the struggle of the pandemic and the role film has played throughout it. It mentions 50 BAFTA nominees and thanks the British film industry. Mr Manawa said, Film more than ever in the past year has become our window to the world. It's our gateway, our portal, our form of escape and in many respects our therapy. New 24-7 gym to open. A new 24-7 gym is set to open at the site of the former Liddell store. Pure Gym will be opening its fitness venue in Ducklington Lane, Whitney, on May the 25th. 
included at the gym will be a weights area, resistance equipment, studio for classes and cardio kit. Personal trainers will also be available to hire. So Alan and Francis will be back with more stories soon. But now it's uh, the editor's choice of articles. And I'd like to take you on a a journey to Stratford-upon-Avon because um, 23rd of April is the uh, date that William Shakespeare was both born in 1564 and died in 1616. So um, I'd like to tell you what happens in Stratford on that, uh, the nearest weekend. Each year, a a unique event takes place in Stratford-upon-Avon to mark the birth of the world's greatest playwright. The birthday celebrations are a tradition going back nearly 200 years and are held on the weekend closest to William Shakespeare's birthday. I used to live in Stratford and have fond memories of watching this spectacle every April. The birthday weekend brings together performers, artists, the local community and ambassadors from around the world in a vibrant celebration of the life and works of William Shakespeare. During the two-day event, the town's streets overflow with music, pageantry and drama and is attended by diplomats, notable visitors, local dignitaries, community groups and school children. The children of King Edward VI Grammar School, where Shakespeare was a pupil and was taught in Latin, lead a huge procession through the town to Holy Trinity Church to lay wreaths and flowers on Shakespeare's grave, which is in the chancel. The diplomats from many countries of the world, the world over, follow them, carrying wreaths and the flags of their countries, many wearing national dress. They are led by bands from the local community, And after them come many individuals wearing theatre costumes, bearing offerings of flowers. This tradition began in 1769 when actor David Garrick held a jubilee in Stratford, the first celebration anywhere in the world of Shakespeare's life. In 1824, Stratford Shakespeare Club was formed to organise celebrations for Shakespeare's birthday with a procession to Holy Trinity Church and a dinner much as it is today. In 1879, the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre opened with regular performances of Shakespeare's plays. Of course, we now have the splendidly refurbished and modernised Royal Shakespeare Theatre on that site, where I believe you can see some of the best of Shakespeare's plays in the world being performed. And they always do special performances for, uh, with descriptions for visually impaired After spending many years writing and performing in London, and probably in Europe too, with considerable success, William spent at least the last five years of his life living in Stratford-upon-Avon. His burial is recorded on the 25th of April 1616 at the age of 52, and he was laid to rest in the chancel of Holy Trinity Church. His wife was buried next to him eight years later in 1624. The following inscription remains undisturbed on his tombstone. Good friend, for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. 
So now we go on to our quiz. And here are the answers to last week's questions, which you may remember were all about the Duke of Edinburgh. So question number one was, Prince Philip was born on a Greek island on the 10th of June, 1921. Which island? And the answer is Corfu. Question two, in which year did the then Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark and the then Princess Elizabeth marry? And the answer is 1947. Question three, Prince Philip retired from royal duties in August 2017. To the nearest 1,000, how many solo engagements did he carry out from 1952 to then? And the answer is 20,000. Precise answer, 22,219. And that's solo engagements. Question four. The Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh had four children together. Name them in the order they were born, oldest to youngest. Charles, Anne, Andrew and Edward. Well done. So question number five. Prince Philip was involved with all branches of the British military. What was his highest ranking position? Answer, Admiral of the Fleet. In active service, he achieved the rank of commander of the sloop HMS Magpie. So now we've got this week's questions, and they're all about Shakespeare. <laughs> what was the name of Shakespeare's wife? And how many children did they have? Question number two. What was the name of Shakespeare's London theatre, which was recently rebuilt? Question number three. Can you tell which play this famous quote comes from? Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Question number four. William Shakespeare died in 1616 on which feast day? Question number five. Without taking into account any lost plays or collaborations, how many plays did William Shakespeare write? Okay, so good luck with those. Now we go on to our notice board. Firstly, we would like to thank Mrs. Maggie Cole of Ensham for her kind donation. It is much appreciated. As for listeners with birthdays to celebrate this week, we send our hearty congratulations to Mrs. Julie Welch in Carterton and to Mrs. Edna Joyce Kearsey, who will be an amazing 95 years old. Happy birthday to you both. The following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Alan Braden, aged 94. Brian James Fuller, aged 83, on 9th of April. Sheila Mary Mould, aged 91, on 14th of April. Our condolences to family and friends. So once again, the Gazette has a page of sport with some good news for Oxford United. And Alan will read from there 
and then we'll finish with another round of articles from the news pages. Long way back, Sam's the man as United beat Jill's with sensational late show. Oxford United's stunning comeback against Gillingham came down to refusal to accept they were beaten, say Sam Long. The right-back equalised late on and grabbed a stoppage time winner to seal a 3-2 win for the U's, who had been 2-0 down with just 18 minutes remaining. It completed a dream week for Long, who signed a new three-year contract last Monday and scored against Shrewsbury Town 24 hours later, while United climbed into the Skybet League One playoff places for the first time this season. Carl Robinson's side looked out of the race after they lost 2-1 to Accrington Stanley a fortnight ago, and when the U's academy gradually Robbie Cundy put Gillingham two goals ahead, their top six hopes were again hanging by a thread. But Sam Winall responded immediately to give United hope, and long knew they would be difficult to contain. The 26-year-old said, Oh, it was so important. It settled us down and gave us the momentum. Once we got the equaliser, only one team was going to win the game. We had plenty of time on the clock, and you've always got got to believe it's never over. If you go down 2-0, you can't just be defeated, and it's credit to all the boys that we never gave up. Moral boosting wins over Crew Alexandra and Shrewsbury Town in the previous seven days gave the U's belief and long felt that shone through. The number 12 said, We know that we're capable of winning games against any team in this league. People were writing us off after the Accrington game, but we're approaching it game by game and the character of the boys is incredible. It was the latest chapter in Long's best season to date and head coach Carl Robinson hailed his progress. And he said, everyone that has come come in has made Sam better because he's looked at it in frustration and said, I want to fight for that place. He asked me the other day if he'd ever get the number two shirt. He's making a tremendous statement for it. He's developing into a terrific fullback and one we're very lucky to have. And there's a lovely picture in the top of the team celebrating, all going around and around. Marvellous. Parties outline the key election points. Four of the biggest political parties in West Oxfordshire have set out their stalls ahead of forthcoming elections. On May the 6th, 17 wards in the district will be up for grabs. Michelle Mead, the current leader of WODC, said the health and well-being of residents was a priority. The Conservative councillor added, as we ease out of lockdown and the fantastic success of the vaccine rollout, we can look forward to getting back to normal. We will be focusing on the local economy, continuing to support businesses through grants and encouraging employment. The environment and climate change are top of the list, as well as listening to the concerns from local people when considering building developments. We will also continue to support the reduction of speed in our towns and villages, and we will be helping the police to fight rural crime. Local Labour Party leader Duncan Enright said the future of local services and businesses were at stake in this election. He added, 
Our NHS and frontline workers have been heroic over the last year, but have struggled to deal with coronavirus due to years of conservative cuts in our public services and wasteful outsourcing to private companies. Coronavirus has shown us what matters most, and we need to go back to a society where we look out for each other and value our public services. Labour's approach is to secure our basic services that we rely on, make sure we are there to support families who need us most, and rebuild West Oxfordshire so that it is the best place to grow up, get on and grow old in. Transport is a key part of the Liberal Democrat campaign, and party group leader Andy Graham said, Infrastructure before housing, ensuring all new developments comply with greener planning regulations, including insulation, electric charging points, expansion of cycling network and support for the feasibility study by the Whitney Oxford Transport Group to investigate the light railway link from Carterton to Oxford via Whitney. No building on the floodplains and investment with partnership agreements with enforcement with the Environment Agency, Thames Water and local councils with flooding and sewerage treatment a priority. Health and well-being with increased funding for adult and social care as well as an increase of support for youth services with an upgraded health centre for Woodstock. Continued support for reduced speeding in all our villages, especially with the continuing rollout of 20 is Plenty, started by the Lib Dems around West Oxfordshire. Barry Wheatley, chair of the West Oxfordshire Green Party, said, Greens will protect and regenerate Oxfordshire's nature clean up our countryside and oppose plans to build on floodplains and valuable farmland. We will work to end sewage overflows into our rivers and use natural solutions to prevent flooding and benefit wildlife. Greens will reduce traffic and pollution, invest in bus services and push for a Whitney-Oxford rail link, provide safer cycling and walking paths and fix existing roads. We will fund schools and educational support improve pay and services in social care. Greens will make it easier to switch to clean energy sources, get paid to produce electricity and save money. Greens will help create local jobs and attract green sector investment across Oxfordshire to protect livelihoods and the planet. We will take urgent action to reduce emissions from homes, transport and businesses. And this is a nice story about a family that's uh, giving to the John Radcliffe Hospital, and you'll see why. Family gives hospital its COVID funding as thanks for a baby's life. A family has donated a £10,000 COVID business grant to Oxford's John Radcliffe Hospital to thank staff for the exceptional care they received when their newborn baby's life was in danger. Alexander and Mei Mei Sullivan run the Peking Chef Chinese takeaway in Carterton and their daughter Tippy was born May 2015 at the hospital's woman's centre. The pregnancy had been normal up until the point Mrs Sullivan just over a month early. Mrs Sullivan recall, I locked at the shop, rushed down to the hospital. We were largely oblivious to the seriousness of what was happening. After 24 hours in hospital waiting, labour was induced and, and then it seemed like everything fell apart. 
May May started bleeding and the monitors were beeping. The team of nurses rushed in and May May had an emergency C-section. I felt totally useless, unable to help. I believe we'd lost Tippy and I didn't know what to do, so I was standing in the maternity suite alone in scrubs for the first time in my life, trying to pray for the life of my wife and daughter. A midwife, Eta, told Mr Sullivan it was a case of undiagnosed vasa previa, a condition in which fatal blood vessels cross or run near the opening of the uterus. These vessels can rupture as they are unsupported by the umbilical cord or placental tissue, leading to infant death. When vasa previa isn't picked up early in scans, there is a 60 to 70% mortality rate. The family who lived near Carterton stayed at the JR for just under a week as Mrs Sullivan recovered. Mr Sullivan said meeting Tippy was a roller coaster ride of emotion from the worst to the best days of my life. In March 2020, the takeaway received a COVID small business grant from West Oxfordshire District Council to help them through the uncertainty at the start of the pandemic when many shops were shutting. And he said our business dipped when the virus was linked to China and that dipped even more when there was panic buying in the supermarkets. The other Chinese takeaways had closed and two of our suppliers closed. There were shortages of flour, beef, shrimp, but we stayed open and continued to serve Carterton, RF Bryce Norton and the community. But as the pandemic progressed, they realised they had actually never been so busy as people looked to the takeaway for a weekly treat. Now they feel they have made it through to the other side. Mr Sullivan said, We all clap for the National Health and carers every Thursday and Tippy and her friends made rainbows. We knew where the £10,000 should really go, the NHS. We chose a specialist Silver Star Society because we wanted to support maternity service in Oxfordshire. And many of our customers have also gone through terrible ordeals and been helped so much by this wonderful team at this one wonderful. And still on hospitals, level of A&E visits up on March of last year. More patients visited A&E at Oxford University Hospitals Trust last month, with demand rising above the levels seen in March last year. NHS England figures show 11,720 patients visited A&E at Oxford University Hospitals, NHS Foundation Trust, in March. That was a rise of 26% on the 9,316 visits recorded during February, and 13% more than the 10,408 patients seen in March the previous year. The majority of attendances last month were via major A&E departments, those with full resuscitation equipment and 24-hour consultant-led care, while 3% were via minor injury units. Meanwhile, around 12% were via consultant-led departments with single specialities, such as eye conditions or dental problems. 
Across England, A&E departments received 1.7 million visits last month. That was a rise of 32% compared with February and 10% more than the 1.5 million seen during March 2020. Last month, 88% of A&D patients at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust were seen within four hours, against an NHS target of 95%. Just 285 patients waited longer than four hours for treatment following a decision to admit them. Figures for February show 2% of patients left before being treated. Our dear editor has uh, left a note at the top which reads, We don't usually read out readers' letters, but we thought you might enjoy this one, written by Don Chapman. Now, Don has lived in Oxford and Ensham forever, and we used to be the Oxford Times theatre critic. And this is the article. What if Beveridge was on right track in the 1930s? The battle for the Shaw's Green interchange to Whitney Bypass has been raging for at least double the ten years you implied in your report, if not longer. I personally was advocating it on behalf of the Liberal Democrats back then, and I was not alone. There were plenty of others of all political persuasions, and none, but the powers that be remain just as committed to the cogs link in the 21st century as a solution to witness high street gridlocks as they did in the 20th century, to a road across Christchurch Meadow as a solution to Oxford's high street gridlock. Meanwhile... A generation of Whitney parents had to jump in their cars every morning and fight their way through the morning traffic to take their children to school because there were not enough primary school places to the west of the town. I covered the 1960 Oxford Inquiry into the Meadow Relief Road for the Oxford Mail and Times. One soporific afternoon towards the end, Lord Beveridge, the architect of the welfare state, turned up. In the 1930s, he said, when he was master of university college, he and Lord Nuffield dreamed up a plan to protect historic Oxford by moving the commercial centre to Cowley. Then a certain gentleman called Mr Hitler intervened, and that was the end of that. At the time... Nobody took much notice. It was just an old man musing about what might have been. But it has to go down as one of the classic what-ifs moments. Don Chapman, Newland Street, Ensham. Stagecoach buses in region get new managing director. Stagecoach has appointed Rachel Jelia Massey, as its new managing director of its operations for Oxfordshire and in the west of England. She replaces Chris Coleman as MD of Stagecoach in Oxfordshire, which runs the Oxford Tube coach service to the capital. Miss Jelia Massey, 39, who takes up the role with immediate effect, joined Stagecoach as part of its graduate training scheme in 2007 and has been operations manager at locations around the country, before being made Operations Director of Stagecoach West in 2014. Miss Jelia Massey is a mother of one and lives in Gloucester. 
She will, will be responsible for 1,500 employees, more than 500 buses, and about 44 million journeys a year, as well as Oxford Tube's coach services. Carla Stockton-Jones, UK Managing Director for Stagecoach, said, Our people are at the heart of what we do, and as a former graduate of the Stagecoach training scheme, it's great to see people like Rachel getting the opportunity to develop even further in such a crucial role for our business. Chris Coleman has left Stagecoach. (laughs) Police aiming for wider enrolment. Thames Valley Police will be hosting an event for all aspiring police officers from a BAME background. The Forces Positive Action and Engagement Team is inviting people who are from a black, Asian or minority ethnic background to attend the careers discovery events online. The aim is to provide honest information about policing that will inform inspire and encourage serious consideration of joining the force. Writing online, the police said, Policing is a career that offers the opportunity to make a genuine difference to people's lives and our communities in a way that no other job can. Officers from specialist teams will attend, including the Roads Policing Unit, Mounted Policing Unit, Crime Scene Investigation and the Dog Unit. Family favourites win big for their efforts amid pandemic. More than a dozen independent businesses across the county have been recognised for their hard work over the past year. The Little Ankle Biters Awards asked thousands of people from across Oxfordshire and its surrounding countries, counties to vote on their favourite place to visit and family-friendly services. Among the winners were several local businesses that have blossomed over the past year despite the pandemic. Bonners Oxford, a fruit and vegetable store based in the covered market, won the Community Spirit Award by an overwhelming majority due to its continued support of the local community during the pandemic. The greengrocers that have been based in the covered market since 1952 adapted to to deliver food across the city throughout the pandemic. It also partnered with Oxford Hospital Charity to provide fruit and vegetable baskets, as well as wellbeing boxes, to COVID ward nurses. Verity Piggott, who owns the renowned covered market shop, said... We were touched to even have been nominated and then winning for just reacting to what was needed in a very difficult climate. The whole team is so proud of what we've achieved. Thank you everyone for supporting us. Oxford Story Museum, which fully reopened in October after undergoing £6 million of renovations, won Best Museum. And the historic Coggs Manor Farm, based in Whitney, received the award for Best Local Attraction. Wantage-based children's clothing and toy store, Sweet Peas, which opened for the first time in December, won the award for the best independent business. Well, that completes this edition. I just have a short reflective piece I found, which I'd like to share with you as a final thought as we hopefully begin to come out of these difficult times. May we never take a... May we never again take for granted... Evenings with friends and family, birthday celebrations, the roar of a crowded stadium, mornings at the gym, 
going to a concert or movie, a night at the theatre, packed dance floors, coffee with a friend, happy hour, a hug, life itself. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we have used this week and my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diakon, and thank you also to our readers this week, Alan Bailey and Francis Ashling. So I know everyone at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well. So until our next edition, we all say goodbye. goodbye.